Welcome back for episode 26 of Self-Signed Artist. Today, we're pulling the curtain back on mixing and mastering. What's the difference, why does it matter, and how does that affect your music and your business? You're listening to Self-Signed Artist, the podcast that helps independent musicians run their brand like a business. Now, your hosts, Kobe Nelson and Jake Mannix. How's it going, everybody? I'm Kobe Nelson, and I'm joined by my co-host, the mix master general himself, Jake Mannix. Oh, thank you very much. Coming from the mix martial artist himself. <laughs> Dude, today's our, our sixth month episode. Do you realize that? Six month anniversary. Yeah. Nice. Episode 26, half a year into this. It's been pretty good. I'm, I'm really excited that lately we've been having more guests on who are like experts in specific parts of the music business. That's been like really fun for me and I want to keep doing more of that, you know? Yeah, super cool. Because I don't know, this this whole podcast kind of came from a place of wanting to help people based on things that, you know, I had seen in my own work and stuff like that. But at the end of the day, like there's a limit to that. And I'm I'm just a studio guy and I'm not an artist myself. So it's been really fun to just like get their perspective on their own little niche of the industry that's like beyond my expertise. So I've actually been learning a lot from that. And I wanna I wanna keep doing more of that. But this episode actually, we're kind of flipping it around and <laughs> I guess we'll kind of interview ourselves. We'll self interview for this episode because this is one that we're actually both more experts in ourselves because we're talking about studio stuff the end of the studio process really mixing and mastering and we've already done one episode about studio mistakes and and things like that how to avoid them how to prepare for the studio but even through that i mean i feel like we kind of take for granted the whole studio process since we deal with it day in and day out you know what i mean yeah there are a lot of people out there who I feel like sort of think of it as this like mysterious thing and it can be a little confusing for them. Like, is that something that you've run into yourself? Like with when dealing with artists and your business and stuff like that? All the time. How it goes down is they'll be sitting next to me and they go, so what's the difference between mixing and mastering? <laughs> and then I, and then I uh, give them a little explanation. Yeah, I, I I get the exact same thing all the time too. I even get this sometimes like during the beginning stages of working with an artist when somebody's coming to me asking for a quote for mixing services, I'll sometimes get that question like what's the difference between mixing and mastering? Somebody looking to actually hire a mixer. So I, I think a lot of people out there feel this way that there's a little bit of confusion and I get the sense that it's sort of viewed as this like magical process that goes on behind the scenes. Like as an artist, you send off your recording to some person and then like, hopefully it comes back sounding better in some way, whether that's mixing or mastering, it's going to be whatever, clearer, louder, more exciting, but like how it got there and whether that was mixing or mastering that did that, you know, I don't really need to know. I'm, I'm the artist. I just want to <laughs> do the music stuff. Like, do you get that sense at all too? Yeah, yeah. I mean, a lot of people don't care. 
I would say it's like half and half. Like some people care, some people don't. Yeah, about like what goes into it. I guess, I guess our goal today is to kind of just take away the mystery of it. So we're not going to go into technical detail. We're not going to tell you how to mix a song or how to master a song. And I think most people don't really care anyways. They're doing more of the music part of things as the artist. But I think we both think that this is a, an important thing for artists to understand what mixing and mastering are, why they're both important, and then ultimately what you can expect from each process as you're going going through this from start to finish. So I guess the first big question, the one that people ask you all the time and the one that people ask me all the time that you just mentioned, Jake, is how are mixing and mastering different? Like what sets them apart? What do you normally say to people for that question? For me, I, w- I would have to like break down the full thing, like what's mixing and what's mastering. Like that's something I think we should do. But like, what do you normally say to people? I give them probably not the best explanation. I'll say like mixing is taking the individual parts, like the vocal, the kick drum, the snare drum, the hi-hat, tweaking all that, making it all sound good together. And then the mastering engineer cleans all that up, makes it sound a little better. And then in most cases, makes it louder. Yeah, I mean, I think at a fundamental level, like that is, that's exactly what both processes are. I do want to dive in kind of deeper to each of them, just since this is kind of such a a widespread question and area of confusion for people. I think there are some subtleties in each of them that are important to kind of understand before you go into each step of the process too. So I guess first, let's just talk about mixing like what mixing is like you were saying it's taking all of the individual parts you're taking the kick drum the snare drum the bass the guitars the keyboards the vocals the background vocals all of those individual bits and you're combining them that's the mixing part really i think mixing at its core like the fundamental thing that it is is taking whatever a hundred tracks and combining them into a single stereo track, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's the actual mixing part. No matter how you get there. Right, yeah. If you do nothing else in the mixing process, forget all the technical stuff, that's still mixing. You're taking a bunch of tracks and making them one track. If you've done that, you've mixed a song. Whether that's a good mix or a bad mix, who knows? <laughs> who does know? <laughs> yeah. Philosophical. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you have a mix technically. So, and again, we're not going to get into the details of like what makes a good mix or a bad mix or anything like that. But I think that's kind of the core of it. You're mixing all of these tracks together. That's what a mix is. Now, obviously there's a whole lot more that goes into mixing than just creating a single file out of the many files. There are a whole lot of things that you have to do to make all of those files fit together. That's why mixing is a thing and a skill and an art form in and of itself. You can kind of think of mixing as taking all of the individual puzzle pieces and fitting them together. I think where some other people get confused within that is some other, there's some other terminology that gets thrown around a lot and different engineers will, will handle mixing in different ways. And some of this is genre dependent, but there are three terms for types of mixes that I come across a lot. 
And these really come down to what the puzzle pieces are that you're working with to create a mix. What's your starting point as far as the pieces you have that you need to fit together? The three types of mixes, I guess, or the three starting points would be a multi-track versus stems versus a track and vocal style mix. So what I mean by that when I'm talking about three different starting points is as a mix engineer, if you are going to send me tracks to mix to create that product at the end, that single file out of a bunch of files, those are three things that you could send. You could send a multi-track, you could send stems, or you could send track and vocal. And I could give you a, a single file in the end for that song. So what are each of those things? To me, the multi-track is what Jake described earlier. That's when you have every single part of the entire production split up. You've got kick separated from snare, separated from hi-hat, separated from cymbals, and on and on and on, up through every single track. This is where you can get a lot of tracks in a session. You could get up, you could get 50, 80, 100. On the huge end of the spectrum, you could have hundreds of tracks if you've gone real nuts and had a ton of microphones up and stuff like that. So that would be a full mix to me. The next one is the, I think the most confusing term for a lot of people, and maybe you can chime in on this too, Jake, and that's this idea of stems. This is a term that gets thrown around a lot that I think most people, when they're saying stems, what they mean is multi-track. Is that the sense that you get? Yeah, yeah, and that's the sense that I use it in. Yeah, I find myself using it that way a lot too, just because it seems to be the way that people use it mostly. Yeah, right. But to me, I think stems is slightly different from a multi-track. Stems is small, like sub mixes, stereo mixes. So again, we're talking about mixing things together from lots of tracks to a single stereo track. Stereo meaning there's a left and a right. So stems would be like, you're sending me a bunch of tracks, but it's a stereo track of drums. So all of your drums, kick, snare, hi-hat, overheads, those have all been mixed down to a stereo stem of the drums, like a drum stem. And then maybe you had originally eight tracks of guitars, eight layers of guitars, and those get mixed down from eight to a single stereo stem of guitars. So now you have a drum stem and a guitar stem, and then maybe you have a background vocal stem and a keyboard stem. And you could send those to a mixing engineer. All labeled. Right, yeah, all, all labeled, labeled properly. And you communicated with whatever engineer <laughs> about all the communicating things you needed to communicate about. <laughs> but label. Exactly, yeah. Labels, for sure. Um, but yeah, that's a, a different type of mix. And depending on the genre, that may be a common thing. I find that that's most useful for things that have a lot of programming in them. A lot of layers of keyboards and stuff like that where I don't necessarily need, you know, synth one, synth two, synth eight, synth 24. You could just send me synths. <laughs> you know what I mean? And that's perfectly acceptable for a certain type of mix. And then the last type, I find at least in my own work in the past, is most common in hip hop, which is track and vocal mixes where somebody will send you an instrumental track where it's everything, all the instruments, all the drums, all the percussion, all the like sound effects and things like that, all in a stereo 
instrumental stem, technically. And then they might send you like five tracks of vocals or whatever, 10 tracks of vocals on top of that. So you're just mixing the vocals with the instrumental. And that's like a a different type of mix. So that one, I don't know if that really truly has a name. I call that track and vocal mix because that's one thing that I come across a lot. Do you deal with that a lot? Yeah, I deal with that uh, every once in a while. Recently, a tape dropped called G-Type by an artist called 3DM. Shout out 3DM from Brooklyn and a producer called Shiggy from Syracuse. Shout out Shiggy. And I did, yeah, pretty much what you're describing on eight tracks. So it was like the producer sent you the overall like track, like the instrumental, and then 3DM had had recorded vocals somewhere, and then you just mixed those things together? Yeah, yeah. So 3DM goes to Syracuse to record with Shiggy, and then Shiggy actually produces the beats, records 3DM, and mixes the the beat before he sends it to me, even. And then, yeah, so I just got the instrumental, and then usually like one vocal track or like with the songs with the features, there was a few layers or like sometimes there was some layers, but yeah, just kind of balancing those and and tweaking those a little bit. But yeah, it was awesome. Yeah. And I mean, those are kind of the three different types of mixes that you can go through. And this isn't to say that any one of those is better than the other. Like, I think it just depends on what the project is and like what's in it. So for for something like that, where there's a producer who's making a beat, like that would be a perfectly normal thing to have the full instrumental be mixed by that person and the the vocals are then mixed over the top of that. Same thing with stems. I mean, as a mixer, I, the, I like the more, like more, more tracks, the better <laughs> as a mixer for me, just because it makes things more flexible at the end of the day. Like if somebody... I don't know, if you're trying to mix in a vocal with a fully mixed track, you kind of have to work the vocals around the track. Whereas my personal mixing style would be more like working a track around a vocal, which is easier when I have things separated out. But that really depends on the song, the artist, the style of the music, who was involved, and the mix engineer at the end of the day and how how they work. So really, I think whichever one of those you end up going with is fine. It just has to be the right thing for you. And then you have to choose the right mixing engineer to go along with that style. Would you say that's a fair kind of assessment of all of that, Jake? Yeah. Yeah. You just got to make sure everything's clean all down the line. Yeah. And, And I think ultimately the way to do that is just by communicating beforehand and really understanding the differences between those three types of mixes. So when I go in and and talk to an artist about doing a mix, that would be something that I would ask. Like, do you, are you sending a full multi-track? Are you sending stems? Are you sending a track and vocal? And that's going to help me figure out what the best way to do the mix would be to achieve the end goal and the end aesthetic that the artist is going for. So ultimately you just need to communicate with your tracking engineer and find out what that is going to be that's sent off for mixing. And a lot of the times your tracking engineer will print off a rough mix of the whole song as well so that you can kind of reference it and things like that. And one thing that comes up oftentimes for me just in, in working with artists is why you would need to have somebody different mix your music that didn't do the recording itself. 
you know? Because, like, recording engineers, I'm a recording engineer. I do recordings and stuff like that. And obviously, they're going to be capable of doing a, a, a mix of your song and things like that. And it's going to sound pretty good. Is there any reason in your mind, Jake, that it might be important to have somebody different mix the song versus who recorded the song? Uh, Yeah, the person who recorded the song already hears the song in the way they hear it. And the mix engineer who didn't record the song is going to get that song and they're immediately, maybe not immediately, but they're going to be able to shape that song into probably something a little bit bigger and more special than the recording engineer could have. Because they're hearing it fresh. Fresh. So all the ideas for little delays and reverb and, you know, little cool things like that that make it, like make the song come from, I think, yeah, exactly what you're saying, the the fresh ears. Yeah. This is something that I find interesting because I even run into it when I'm the separate mix engineer. Once you've heard a song a hundred times, like you just, it doesn't matter who you are, you're going to lose some perspective on it. And then as a recording engineer, if you've done whatever, however many hundred takes across all the instruments and stuff like that, you've heard the song so many times. <laughs> Maybe you've heard the song more than the artist even because of like editing and all that stuff that happens after even the artist is, is out of the room. So it's kind of a tricky thing, but I think there is something to be said for that freshness. One of the things as an artist that can be tricky to navigate, I think, is that a lot of the times since a recording engineer has recorded the song and put all this time into it, there's some ownership there. Like they they feel like they would do the best job at the mix or that they should mix it because they know it better than anybody else. And ultimately, as an artist, that's up to you. That's a decision that you kind of have to make. Do you want the person who recorded it to mix it because they know it the best? Or do you want a fresh set of ears on it? That's kind of a personal preference thing at the end of the day. And ultimately, mixing is a, a subjective thing. So it really comes down to what you like the best. If you love the mix that the tracking engineer made for you, that's great. We are I'm not saying at least that you should not trust your ears in that situation and send off to another mixer because they're going to have fresh ears. It's it's just one of those decisions that comes with being an artist as part of the process. And then the last distinction that I want to make when it comes to mixing is the difference between mixing and editing. This is one that I get fairly often when people are asking what's included in mixing services. And obviously this is maybe going to depend on who the mixer is that you're going with. And if this is the tracking engineer who's mixing, then this most definitely is like a, a gray area that might be done by the same person. But to me, anything that involves changing the performance in any way, like tuning or time aligning things, the time aligning meaning like correcting rhythm problems and stuff like that, like putting drums in time or putting vocals in time with one another, that falls into the editing category and not the mixing category. That's done before mixing. Would you agree with that, Jake? Is that as when you're a mix engineer on something, is that separate from like the tuning, timing, all that stuff? Let me tell you my least favorite thing about opening up a project. It's seeing that I have to tune some vocals. This happens all the time with Johnny Two Phones projects. I get really excited to dive in. I get the multi-tracks in there. 
from on a G and I'm ready to dive in about to make it sound good. I'm excited. And then I'm like, Oh no, I have to tune the vocals. I'm, I hate it, man. I hate it. So yes, definitely. Most definitely discuss that prior. Yeah. It's a separate thing. So most of the time a mix engineer is going to be expecting that to happen first before mixing where that's kind of obviously a gray area is if your tracking engineer, the person who's doing the recording is also the person who's mixing, then that person would be responsible for both in that case. Always just good to talk that stuff out beforehand to make sure that it's all, it's all lined up and everybody knows what they have to do. So I think that is, that's pretty much it for mixing like a, a base level of mixing, what mixing is. If there's a take-home message from all of that, mixing is taking a bunch of tracks and combining them into one stereo track. So all you have at the end of that is one file that has a left and a right, <laughs> and that's it. So then after that is where mastering comes. And mastering is... Even more so than mixing, I would say mastering is like viewed as the dark arts or something like that. Like it's a mysterious thing that nobody really knows what mastering engineers do. Dude, I still view it as the dark arts. <laughs> I kind of do too. Yeah, Like honestly, and I know a lot of mastering engineers and it still sort of feels like the dark arts to me as well. But we can kind of break down what goes into that and why it's a separate thing from mixing. So ultimately, to sum it up, what mastering is, is taking that final mix from the mixing engineer. So now you have all your tracks mixed down to a single track left and right. And then the mastering engineer is taking that single file and making it so that it will translate the best it possibly can across every listening platform that it could be played on. So if it's going to be played on your car stereo, it's going to sound great. It's going to be played on your headphones, out of your phone. It's going to sound great. It's going to be played on the radio. It's going to sound great. CD, great. Streaming service, great. Like that's kind of the goal there is they're going to make it so that it translates everywhere. And there are a couple things that go into doing that. And one of them is what I think most people think of when they think of mastering. And that's making the song loud, right? Like that's, is that the first thing that you think of, Jake? Yeah. Yeah. For the most part. Yeah, so it, we're not going to go into how that's actually done, but basically the mastering engineer is going to get a mix from the mixing engineer and everything's going to be nice. It's going to be sounding good. It's going to be sound, sounding balanced across all the instruments and everything like that, but it might not be the loudest that it it could be. And the reason loudness is important is is for being able to stand up to the other mixes that are, that are out there. Ultimately, that's kind of the reason it's important. You want it to be so that when your song comes up after another song, it doesn't all of a sudden sound really quiet and really weak. You want it to kind of stand up against the other professional level things out there, right? So that, that's part of what the, the job of the mastering engineer is going to be, just to make it loud and make it competitive in the market like that. Another thing that a mastering engineer is going to be doing is shaping the overall tonal qualities of the song for the same reason, to make it so that when your song comes up after another professional song out there, it's not like 
the the one song before is all like bright and exciting and then your song comes on and it's like muffled and sound like it has a blanket over it it you want it to be similar to what came before it so that it's still exciting to the listener and they don't feel like anything has changed necessarily i mean those are the two main things jake is there anything else that you can think of from a mastering perspective that makes it completely different from mixing i mean as far as the actual processes that the mastering engineer is doing they use the same tools. They're just specific to the job of mastering, like mastering EQs, mastering compressors, mastering limiters. Like it's, they're using the same tools. They're just the mastering versions gotcha, <laughs> of gotcha. those tools. So another misconception uh, that comes up a lot with mastering, I think, with a lot of artists is the idea of changing the balance of instruments once you've made it to the mastering phase. So once you have a stereo file left and right, or even this actually comes up in the mixing process too, when we're talking about either stems or track and vocal mixing. If you have a bunch of tracks that are already mixed together into a single file, you really can't change the balance between those instruments after the fact. So for example, if you have a mix of a recording that's going off to mastering, if you ask the mastering engineer to turn up the guitars, they may be able to do some kind of wizard tricks to give the illusion that the guitars are louder, but they can't actually go into that mix and turn up the guitars. That's just not possible at that point. And the same goes for other stages like track and vocal mixing. If you have a track and a vocal and you're asking your mix engineer to turn up the snare drum, that's not really something that can be done in a simple way. So that's just something to keep in mind that once things are mixed together into a single file, they're really kind of stuck that way. I know that's something that I've been asked about a lot and it's probably a request that I get on almost a weekly basis. <laughs> Do you get that a lot too, Jake? Yeah, uh, sometimes, but this is actually something, this is a little secret that I like doing that I don't, I don't ever tell people when I do it. <laughs> but a lot of times I'll uh take a I'll layer in like a snare drum or a kick drum. Right, yeah, sample over the top of it. If it needs it, yeah. just sprinkle it. Well, I mean, that's that's the way, that's one of the wizard tricks that I was talking about that you can kind of get around it. Yeah. You could maybe try and tease it out with EQ or some clever compression. Now we're getting into technical stuff that we said we weren't going to talk about. Transient designer. <laughs> yeah the the key there is that since the snare isn't separate anymore you can't just turn the snare up you have to do something else to give the illusion that the snare was turned up so you just have to think about those things along the way and make sure that you're actually listening to every step of the process and approving things as they go because once you approve it it's kind of stuck that way overall one more thing that's worth talking about when it comes to mastering is the human mastering engineer versus the online algorithm-based mastering engineer. Mm -hmm. How familiar are you with that, Jake? Have you had any experience with those? So I tried one, one mix through Lander. It was okay. But what I don't like about th these companies is the marketing. I, don't, I really don't like the marketing. Mm. What about it? It's, it's like too much trying to replace the the human so i guess to give some background so basically it's a it's a site lander specifically that will 
analyze the mix. So you'll upload a mix to this site. It'll run some intelligent software over it to analyze it. And then it will make some of the processing changes to, for example, make the song loud that a mastering engineer, a human mastering engineer would do. The thing that I find kind of strange about that as a process is it kind of operates on the assumption that mastering is all about hitting certain like standard levels and stuff like that. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like a standard loudness or a standard like balance of frequency, like a tonal balance or a, a tonal kind of shape or color of a song. I get that it's analyzing and it's making changes based on the actual song itself, but I don't necessarily think that that's very musical. You know what I mean? Like ultimately mastering, I still think is about music. Yeah, I I agree. At a point in time, I'm not going to lie. I bought into it, dude. I bought into the EQ matching, but like, it's just not doing what you like. Yeah. The low end can be louder, but why is it louder? Right. Yeah. Ultimately, like it to me, it just comes down to music again. Like you could do, you could conceivably come up with a similar service for mixing at the end of the day. Like that's probably something that's going to come out as an online service at some point, or you're just going to upload your multi-track or your stems or your track and vocal <laughs> uh, overall to a website and it will spit out a mix but even among real human mixers, if you send two people the same files to mix, you're going to get two different mixes. Same thing with two mastering engineers. And I've actually heard this in action. Like if you send two different mastering engineers or three different mastering engineers the same song to master, you're going to get three different masters back that sound different from one another, drastically different from one another sometimes. And it's up to you as like a listener to figure out which one of those is best because it's a subjective thing. It's an aesthetic thing at the end of the day. So that's where it kind of is weird for me is that since there's no actual like human behind it, making a decision based on music, I think that there's going to be something potentially lacking there. Not to say that no good master will ever come out of a service like that or anything like that's not what I'm saying. But I don't know if you'd be able to trust that that's the best master that you could possibly get versus somebody who can actually interpret and feel music. Yeah. There's always going to be a human element missing. This is a really philosophical question at the end of the day, but. Yeah. <laughs> and then I, so the last thing that I want to talk about on the mastering side of things is something that I actually brought up in the previous episode that we did on studio stuff. Episode 17, I believe it was which was called Don't Make These Five Studio Mistakes. And this was something I brought up as kind of a personal preference for myself. And it comes down to another question that we already talked a little bit about in this episode too. And that's whether the same person should do the mix and the master. My opinion on this is that when I'm doing mixing work, I actually would prefer that another person do the master rather than myself. Even if you're going to pay me extra money to do the master, I'd rather have somebody else master it because it comes down to that idea of fresh ears again. You know what I mean? Yeah. 
Do you, I mean, I've, I do some work, actually a fair amount of work where I mix and master things. Do you do the same? Yeah, there's, there's probably only been, I can probably count on one hand the amount of times I've had to send out a mix for mastering. Yeah, I, I think a lot of the times with artists, especially, that's kind of the assumption that the mix and master are going to happen at the same time. Like you'll send off files to a mix engineer and you're going to get a master back. I would, as an artist, just consider the fact that the mastering engineer really is like the last quality control step in the whole process. It's the last thing that is there to make sure that this song that you're going to put out there is sounding the absolute best that it possibly could. So it's not really a step that you want to skip over, you know, that would be like, I don't know, in a food processing manufacturing plant or something that the like quality control person is skipped over. Like I don't want my whatever uh, Doritos or whatever to have skipped by the quality control person because then you never know, you know, you might get like metal shavings in your Doritos or whatever. Like that's just a random example, but it's the same kind of idea to me. So take that for, for what you want. (laughs) Where I think a lot of people get tripped up is that it's just a lot of stuff at the end of the process of making a record. You know what I mean? Like you've spent all this time, you've written all these songs, you've arranged all the songs, you've recorded all the songs, and now you have to hand them off to somebody else who's, you know, the magician behind the curtain. You don't really know what they're doing. And then hopefully it's going to come back sounding better. So there's that kind of temptation to just like, come on, get it over with. You know what I mean? and cut corners at the end of the project. But I think really the moral of the story for this whole episode is that all of these things are important and that you shouldn't be skimping on your final product because you, you're just sick of dealing with this and you want it to be over and be put out to the world. You know what I mean? Yeah. I'm not saying that artists are doing that, that they're being like, Oh, at this point I don't care. Like whatever, just put the song up. But That can creep in subconsciously, I think, to decisions where it's like, oh, do we really have to send this off to another person to do some stuff and send it back? And then we have to do another round of listening to this and approving the song and everything like that. So just don't skimp on the final product. And like we've said in the past episode about studio mistakes, just make sure you're budgeting for all of these things and that you're aware that they're going to be a thing. So I hope this has been a helpful episode and helped to kind of demystify the process of finalizing a record, mixing and mastering. So now you know the value of the process and the fundamentals of what goes into each thing. If you want to hear more about recording and mixing and mastering and all of these types of topics that are kind of in our wheelhouse that we we talk about all the time, let us know because you know we're down to talk about it. It's what we talk about in our spare time. It's what we talk about before episodes, what we talk about after episodes. So we'll just run the mics in those times and we'll have tons (laughs) of episodes for you. You can send an email to us at podcast at selfsignedartist.com if there's anything you want to hear more about. Don't forget to go ahead and leave us a five-star written review on Apple Podcasts. And if you're feeling extra friendly, go ahead and tell one of your friends that they should take a listen to the Self-Signed Artist Podcast and help them run their brand like a business. Oh yeah. 
That's all we've got for you on this episode, and we'll catch you on the next episode of Self-Signed Artist. Peace.